Hi, I'm George, and Alex is here too. Say hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. Fantastic. Uncommon Commons is now on Patreon at patreon.com slash uncommoncommons. There are currently two tiers with plans for more in the future. Supporting us at the $1 level gets you access to all of our bonus content, including the Common Area, which uploads new episodes twice a month. For $5 a month, we will do listener shoutouts right here at the start of the episode. Now, Uncommon Commons is a passion project, so don't feel pressured to contribute, but it is greatly appreciated. For more information, go to patreon.com slash uncommoncommons or click the link in the description. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy this episode of the Uncommon Commons. Uncommon Commons is a horror anthology podcast written by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Today's story is Old Traditions by Alex Vitale. lights are back on. Ugh. Looks even worse in the light. Now I definitely don't want to open this. Maybe it's just our grocery delivery? And the ice pack melted? I guess I did just order some um, steaks. See? There we go. That must be it. Then why do I still not want to open it? Oh! It's just Doreen's cat food delivery. Oh, she always did prefer fresh ingredients. Am I gonna get in trouble for opening someone else's mail? Jane, what's more illegal? Briefly inconveniencing Doreen Wimbledon? Or not knowing what's in the package? Pretty sure it's the opening someone else's mail option. Ain't no laws when your neighbor has paws. Then you can explain it to her. I think she likes you more anyway. That's not true. Hissing is just how the cats say, I love you. If you ever talk like that again, you can be the cat food. Uh, hey, is that your story stuck to the box? What are you talking about? Oh, so it is. You were right, John. Shame. That was probably his best chance at ever hearing me say that. Oh, well. A tiny black speck floated along the horizon, slowly growing as it made its way towards port. Behind it, the dark bank of clouds grew larger, too. Cliff lowered his spyglass. It had been a gift from his sister when he'd started this job. The image it magnified always seemed a little warped, but the old piece of junk still did the trick. Besides, it fit in with the whole vibe of his job. Similar artifacts lined the walls at the bottom floor of the lighthouse, showcasing its history. There were even several pieces from old Captain Connolly himself, the famed founder of Pinehurst Island. Among them sat his old waterlogged lighter and a spyglass not unlike Cliff's. His, of course, was a cheap replica. The Pinehurst Lighthouse had been around for 152 years, and probably held more history than the little 9 by 9 bottom floor could ever hope to express. In that time, the beacon had never gone out. Not once. Cliff had heard the stories over and over again, ever since he was a little kid. Captain Connolly and his men had nearly crashed in the rocky bay when they first landed, and the lighthouse was the first structure the captain had built so that other sailors wouldn't meet such a fate. He'd been rather hopeful about those other sailors, though. Pinehurst rarely saw more than a few fishing boats into the tourist ferry. 
Legend had it that Captain Connolly's boat had sunk on the other side of the island as he'd been exploring it. So much for safety protocols. Cliff estimated that since 1834, there had been at least three other lighthouse keepers before him. He'd only met the last one briefly, and if he hadn't known better, he would have assumed that the old man had been tending the lighthouse since its construction. Mr. Schoen had been nice enough, though. He was the friendly grandpa sort of type, and even had left Cliff a notebook full of advice for keeping the lighthouse up and running. Schoen had handed it off to him when he first started, but not before going through every single piece of information in person first. Cliff's orientation had lasted nearly two weeks, and of the information he'd been given during that time, he'd retained maybe 15% of it. The notebook helped. If Cliff was being totally honest with himself, he'd felt that maybe the advice was a little too detailed. The notebook was stuffed to the brim with notes and checklists. Every secret old Mr. Schoen could have thought of was tucked away into those pages. During his first few months, Cliff resorted to scouring over the notes any time the most minor inconvenience happened. His heart would race each time he opened the cover, and yet a speedy response was always waiting for him on the pages within. It seemed, in the fifty years that Mr. Schoen had run Pinehurst Lighthouse, he'd accounted for every possible incident that could go wrong. Once, a few days into his newfound career, Cliff had noticed a sizable leak down the wall in his office in the watch room. He'd spent a good hour looking through the yellow pages for repairmen, before he had resorted to using Schoen's notes. Sure enough, he had made a step-by-step guide on how to fix the leak on his own. Cliff had never been the most handy with household chores, but he'd managed to patch up the leak and even paint over the spot. A few weeks later, one of the window panes got a crack in it. After that, the siding had begun to rot. And after that, one of the historical markers had been graffitied. Each time, Cliff consulted his notebook. Each time, Mr. Schoen listed exactly what was needed to fix the problem, where to find it, and how to do it. He even had a method for cleaning the portrait of the scruffy-looking captain without damaging the paint. As far as Cliff could tell, and by now he'd read the whole thing cover to cover several times over, the guidebook was only missing one set of instructions. What to do if the beacon ever went out. The light portion of the lighthouse was as antique as the rest of it, perhaps even more given that the body had been refurbished into a museum over the years. The beacon remained an old gas lamp, and it was up to whatever poor sod of a watchman was there to keep it burning. Mr. Schoen had not only written instructions on maintaining the light, but also personally gave Cliff the rundown. He showed him how the mechanism opened to allow for tending, how the plates shifted in order to create that turning effect, and how to refill the oil without smothering the flame or burning himself. It's a tradition, yes, yes, Mr. Schoen had said to him, firmly placing both hands on Cliff's shoulders as he spoke but it's our most important tradition. The captain himself entrusted the first of us with the task decades ago. It's up to us, Sonny, to uphold that responsibility. Carry the torch, if you will. The old man had chuckled about that little pun for much longer than Cliff thought reasonable. That was all the explanation that Cliff had received in regards to why they kept the beacon lit. He thought it strange at first, and then perhaps dangerous with an open flame, but in the months since he'd begun his job, nothing had gone up in smoke yet he'd even had time to rationalize the reason behind it. It was for historic purposes. Accuracy and all that. It certainly wasn't helping anybody find their way to shore anymore. Stowing his spyglass in his parka's front pocket, Cliff retreated from the overcast skies to tend to the light. In the dim, filtered end-of-day sun, the flame looked weak and sleepy. Cliff heaved his oil canister up in both arms, 
slid the glass panel aside with a creak, and poured in some fresh oil. Through flickering flame, he could see the dregs of yesterday's oil almost used up. The light gulped down the fresh batch greedily, bolstering with each drop. Once the canister had been drained off, Cliff went back downstairs. He slipped back onto the balcony, re-entering the body of the lighthouse down the set of spiral stairs. The metal clanked noisily under his wellingtons as he made his way back down. The wind whipped at his hair. If this was the calm before the storm, he wasn't looking forward to the real thing. The canister was discarded by the door on the ground floor. They were closed to the public on Sundays, so it didn't really matter if it looked bad. He'd been advised to refill it after every use, but his day was catching up to him, and Cliff reasoned that it would be just as easy to refill it tomorrow, after he got some rest. The hike back up to the watchroom still wasn't easy, and by the time he reached his desk, he practically collapsed into his chair. The porthole over his desk held a warped image, the thick glass showing the approaching storm. From there, Cliff could just barely see the horizon, but he could no longer see the little spot of a ship. Given how small the port of Pinehurst was, it had likely never been headed for them anyway. The rest of the night was boring, as per usual. One of the things Cliff both adored and hated about his job was that most of his nights were spent this way, feet kicked up at his desk and his walkmen skipping over whatever tracks he felt like. It was rare that they had ships in port. In fact, ships was a strong term for the occasional fishing boat that washed up into the docks. Cliff fancied himself more of a curator of the old lighthouse than some sentry, and that suited him just fine. He could even drift off into a nap on sleepy nights like this, and that's just what he did. Cliff didn't know how long he'd slept for, but from the sleep that crusted around his eyes, it felt like it might have been centuries. A loud clap of thunder jolted him awake. He started nearly falling off of his chair, and sat up to look out the porthole. The storm was here, all right. It was so here that Cliff felt like the lighthouse shook with every gust of wind. He wasn't particularly worried, though. The lighthouse always felt a little like it was going to tip over, but it had stood for 152 years. No little thunderstorm was going to topple this behemoth. With a big stretch and a yawn, Cliff rose from his desk chair and cracked his back. As nice as it would have been to continue his mid-storm nap, he had a little checklist of things that needed to be done. He had to make certain all the portholes were locked tight, make note of any leaks so that he could fix them once the weather died down, and of course he had to check on the beacon. This all could be done as quickly as he pleased. It would take him approximately 15 minutes, and then he could go back to his favorite part of the job, sleeping. As it turned out, there were no leaks. There had, however, been a forgotten open porthole, and the result was a big puddle of water on the second floor landing of the lighthouse. It took a little force to close the window against the wind, but Cliff managed to shove it back into place and lock it tight. The puddle was about as easily fixed with a few strategically placed towels over top of it. Beyond that, there were no leaks down the walls, or anywhere for that matter. By the time Cliff reached the top of the spiral staircase, every detail had been documented and accounted for. In fact, there only seemed to be one thing out of place. No light bathed the upper balcony of the lighthouse. The last thing Cliff really wanted to do was go out into the storm, but duty called. With a sigh of resignation, he pushed open the door against the wind and stepped out. The storm nearly tore him off the balcony, strong enough to make him wonder if New England had a hurricane season. Clicking to the wall, he skirted his way towards the beacon. Even through the heavy rain, Cliff spotted the problem immediately. The sliding panel that allowed him to feed the light was left open wide. The flame had gone out. Cliff cursed himself for being so careless. 
It was an empty-headed mistake just like this one that had lost him his last job. With a huff, Cliff shielded himself from the wind and rain and shimmied his way back into the lighthouse. Mr. Schoen's notebook wouldn't help him here. He had to figure out this little problem on his own. Oil, he reasoned, was as good a first step as any. Over the edge of the balcony, as Cliff opened the door back inside, he could have sworn he saw a large, oblong shape rocking in the waves of the sea. The rain was so heavy, though, and the ocean churning so roughly that Cliff couldn't be sure. He couldn't be bothered, either. If he had been, perhaps he would have noticed the mysterious shape cut through the violent waves and hoist itself against the docks. The oil canister lay where Cliff had discarded it not four hours earlier, bleeding the remainder of its guts onto the floor. He scooped up the jug and made for the exit, crumbling all the way. Of course, things could never be easy. Not once. As Cliff reached for the door handle, his heart jumped into his throat. Someone was knocking. Oh, he was so going to lose his job. Who is it? He called, and then louder in case a storm drowned him out. Who is it? There was no response. The string of swear words that escaped Cliff's mouth would have made a sailor blush. How on earth had someone come out that quickly just to yell at him about the beacon? In the rain, no less. Cliff could kiss a steady paycheck goodbye. Preparing to justify himself to whatever town or island officials stood on the other side of the door, oil jug tucked under his arm, he opened the door. The face that he was met with was not that of Mayor Fishbach. It was familiar, though, old and scruffy. It was ghostly pale, the sickly color of churned sea foam. The scraggly beard that lined his chin was spotted with clinging barnacles, the long, stringy gray hair intertwined with kelp. The lines on this man's face were drawn deep and crusted with salt. The dead-eyed stare from below sagging brow line was glowering and piercing. He wore a captain's hat perched atop his head, dripping with briny water. Cliff did not wait to see what the man had to say. He slammed the door in his face and pressed himself against the opposite side of the curved wall. The door slammed open nonetheless, rattling on its hinges as the bloated man lumbered through the doorway. Cliff stood there with his knees knocking, slowly sliding down the wall. He held the oil canister in front of him, and tight against his chest, clutching it as though it might offer some sort of protection. The figure, in his long black coat, shambled towards Cliff with his arm outstretched. His mouth opened as he tried to speak, but all that poured out was sea foam and water. Cliff blubbered, holding the canister up as a shield. The man's long, spongy fingers wrapped around its handle and pulled it loose from his grip. When Cliff finally opened his eyes, he noticed two things. The bloated man was now walking outside, and Cliff had wet himself. He stayed frozen in place for what felt like an eternity. The thought that this had been some terrible waking dream caused by isolation began to seep into his mind. Maybe he was even still asleep at his desk, and the storm hadn't even begun yet. That thought was laid to rest as the old captain made his way back inside. He still held the oil canister, though now it was full and dripping onto the floor. The man passed by Cliff with little more than a glance, and began to slowly ascend the staircase. When he'd gone up about ten steps, and Cliff had still not gotten off the floor, he paused and grunted at him, jolting his head roughly to the side. The murky seawater that tumbled from his blue lips gargled the command, but it was bellowed loud enough for Cliff to understand. Follow. It took Cliff several moments of terrified staring in order to process that. He only moved when the sopping specter of a man made to come back down to fetch him. 
Scrambling to his feet and keeping a healthy few paces behind the rotting, bloated man, Cliff followed him in a daze. Together, they climbed back to the top of the lighthouse. The man paid little attention to Cliff now that he had him in tow. He seemed to know where he was going, and as they walked out onto the balcony, the wind and rain affected him little. He did not wait for Cliff to catch up as he began working. How he knew what to do to relight the flame of the beacon, Cliff did not know. Yet the bloated man, with rotten flesh and salt-crusted joints, moved with purpose, setting down fresh kindling and dousing it with oil. The flame caught in an instant, so quickly that Cliff barely had time to register the old lighter clasped in the man's clammy hands. There was no time to process what had just happened. Some old, salty sea dog had dragged himself from the deepest pits of the ocean to help fix Cliff's little problem, and Cliff wasn't the kind of person to look a gift horse in the mouth. The bloated man turned as he shut the panel on the beacon, and stepped away from it back to the balcony proper. His captain's hat, whipped by the wind, flew off his head. Cliff opened his mouth to speak, to say thank you, but the words caught sharply in his throat. The man, now clearly in the light of the beacon, was ripped straight from the pages of a history book. Captain Connolly looked a little worse for the wear, but the drawn, sour face was easily recognizable. He locked eyes with Cliff and lumbered towards him. The captain placed both hands squarely on Cliff's shoulders, and for a moment, Cliff thought he might offer advice. Then, he pushed. The old, rusted, 152-year-old railing did not hold Cliff's weight. The sky the next day was clear, bright, and cloudless. The sun had dried most of the puddles, and the seagulls took flight once again. If you hadn't been there the night before, you would never have known it had been storming. Nothing could ruin such a peaceful morning. Save for, perhaps, the wail of the few police sirens Pinehurst Island had to offer. The body of the lighthouse keeper lay broken and contorted 120 feet below the top of the lighthouse itself. It had been ruled suicide, perhaps brought on by the loneliness of the job. It was fairly cut and dry, and before long the body of the lighthouse keeper was covered and taken away. Only a few people, island residents, still milled about the base of the lighthouse. Mr. Elijah Schoen shuffled to the base of the tower, staring up at the broken railing at its top. He sighed and tutted. All that work into a guidebook, all gone to waste. Elijah pulled one of his hands free from his parka pocket and stooped, picking up an old worn captain's hat that lay on the ground. He dusted it off, picking off one of the barnacles attached to the brim. I told that boy I warned him, he lamented to himself. Kids these days, no respect for tradition. <sighs> okay, I just talked to Doreen, and she said she's willing to overlook the federal crime in light of the fact that there seems to be no federal government in the void. That's great news, I... John! What? What do you mean, what? You look awful. That's not very nice. I'm talking about all the blood. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Those little scamps like to play rough sometimes. You call taking out an eye rough? Oh, that's actually pretty tame for them. Besides, I've got a spare. Hey, you hear that? It sounds like the rain just stopped. Thank goodness. Now I can enjoy the indoors unabated. Will the owner of the white sedan parked in void section? Please return to your vehicle. Your lights are. The fact that they still exist at all is the announcement. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your stay at the Uncommon Commons.
Uncommon Commons is a podcast. It was written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Our theme song was composed by Charles Adam Robinson, and our logo designed by Sam Vitale. Our social media manager is Rebecca Tewksbury. Follow us at un underscore commons on Twitter, uncommon underscore commons on Instagram, or email us directly at zeronullstreet at gmail.com. Rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay, and remember, nothing is real.